Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 13. And if you uh, didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, there are pew Bibles there in front of you, and uh, in the pew Bible, uh, that is on page 948. I want to encourage you to, one way or the other, have a Bible in your hand and be following along. I was, uh, a few years back, born in Frankfurt, Germany. Now, the reason I was uh, born in Frankfurt was because my father was in the service at the time. He had been through uh, World War II and Korea. No, I wasn't born during World War II or, or Korea, but... Not that long after that, actually, uh, and he was stationed in, in Germany. Now, I'm, because he was uh, serving uh, the United States Army, I was uh, immediately a citizen of <clears throat> the United States. But I'm told that I also uh, was a citizen of Germany at the time. Now, the way it works, as uh, I've uh, come to understand, is that uh, when you get to be 21, you then uh, have to basically declare. Now, I don't have to, uh, I didn't have to declare that I wanted to be a citizen of the United States, but if I wanted to be a German citizen, I would have had to declare that, and then I would have given up uh, my citizenship. I did not do that, by the way. I remain a citizen of uh, our country. Way back in the fourth century, Augustine of Hippo wrote the book, The City of God. This was not long after uh, Rome had been sacked, and, and now the train comes. <laughs> it was, uh, and, and so there were questions for uh, the Christians at that point of dealing with this. And so what, what Augustine did is he made the distinction and talked about uh, the idea of there being a city of God and a city of man. And that in essence, we, if we are believers, we live in both. There is, a, a, as it were, a dual citizenship. Now, without going into views of that, because uh, they are, have been uh, uh, worn out in terms of controversy and so on, the gist of it is that uh, we live in two worlds. And I'm convinced that the more we can understand that and remember that, the more effective citizen we will be in each world. And so this passage that is before us today in Romans 13, you may say, well, why why does he throw in something about government here? 
you know, after all this great theology and then this uh, talking about love and, and uh, this, this practical uh, theology, why talk about government and yet think about it? How, how much a part of our lives is that? And certainly in, in their day, these were questions of how do we function as believers and yet knowing that we have a citizen, we are citizens of another place as well. This text teaches us especially how to function in the city of man. So let's give our, our attention in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us as, even as we approach your table to have your word apply to our hearts and our minds, our lives, Understanding that we are people of submission. Our whole life is one of submission. And so teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you uh, briefly, and the, this could be a whole series just on this passage, but briefly I want to give you uh, three points and four things to understand in terms of uh, uh, government and submission, as, as my Bible at least titles this, submission to uh, authorities. And so let's jump in the first being the believers to submit to the uh, government where God has placed them. Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, I've just stated, and, uh, and as believers, that our whole lives are to be ones of submission. We, we've seen it today. Those that have been commissioned in missions. Those who joined the church 
took vows. And all of those things had to do with submitting to others, serving others. And that's what we as believers are. And, and the government is no different in this. Now, let me give you the, uh, some of the cultural context because I, I want us to try to imagine how this might have been an issue for Christians under uh, Roman rule. Um, and, and, and here's why an issue. Look, look what else he says uh, in the last part of verse 1. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. So, Here's the point. God is responsible for those who are currently governing. Now, here's how that works. The way it usually goes. When our guy is in there, we like that. When our guy is not in there, we pretty much ignore that. Right? You get it? When our guy is in there, we, we want to remind ourselves and remind others, look, he's there because God put him there. We need to understand God's providence. But then when somebody is in there that, that we didn't vote for or we can't imagine that the God of the universe could do anything with this person, <laughs> then we, we tend not to think about this very same principle. Now, you who have a hard time thinking about our president or others that are in office being there because God put him there, and by the way, the other way we tend to look at it is when it's not our guy, we say, well, God put him in there to discipline us. <laughs> hey, he put him in there. To, he's punishing us. This is his judgment on America. And then when it goes the other direction, God is blessing. Okay? Now, if you have a hard time reconciling that, that those who are over us are there because God... Uh, put them there. Think about those that were under the Roman government. We, we can't go into this extensively, but let me just tell you that it was as pagan of a government as this world has ever seen. It was a, a, a government where the emperor worship was part of it. it was, that was officially the case. There was corruption. There was murder. There, there was persecution of Christians. There was abortion. There was infanticide, the killing of infants. And all kinds of cruelty were the order of the day. And those things, by and large, were not even hidden. That was okayed by the government of that day. Now, there were some revolutionary movements. And it, was, it would have been tempting for 
Christians to jump into those revolutionary movements to, to think this can't be God's way and therefore we should overthrow it. And so with that as the context, Paul says, understand this. You're to be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. And then he goes on to talk about the purpose of government. Government is to do good to the good and punish the one who does evil. Uh, that's the role of governments. Uh, verse 3, for the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you'll receive his approval. For he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, now think about this, this whole idea of commending those who do good. Uh, I heard about one uh, uh, city where the police were pulling people over to give them uh, tickets of commendation for good driving. I, I just have to think, if I was driving through there and the, the blue lights went on behind me, I know exactly what my reaction would have been. My foot would have come off the gas. I would have looked to see how fast I was going and said, what did I do wrong? What's, what, what's wrong here? Can you imagine? Well, that, that might be one way for the government to commend but I don't think that's going to be the, the typical application of this. I think most of us would admit that would be strange. Uh, the way I see it in our country is that we are commended for doing good, for obeying the law, because we are blessed and free to do that. We have freedoms that we enjoy when we do right, and when we do wrong, we ought not to have those freedoms any longer, and they can be taken away. When that's the case, the government's doing its job. When it's got it going the right direction. Look at the last part of uh, uh, the verse. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, this goes to the question that I put out on the city this week as kind of a teaser about uh, uh, this subject, and that is uh, uh, last week uh, when I was standing at the door and I had preached on, on love, and uh, we, we saw that uh, Paul was uh, uh, talking about how we treat our enemies and so on. The question, uh, what if I'm a soldier sent to fight ISIS? Somebody asked me this at the door. Not exact wording, but this was the gist of it. What if I'm sent to fight ISIS? Uh, the, the, what I uh, emphasized last week is what do we do to our enemies? Well, if they're hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, you give them something to drink. So if I'm a soldier and I go to fight ISIS, instead of doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm supposed to, if they're hungry, feed them and and so on. 
And I said, you know, that's a great question. And we can talk about it, it more, but, but this is the, the gist of uh, the answer, basically, and that is this. How does a soldier reconcile that? Well, Paul is saying here, that's the government's job. That is what they are to do. So he's contrasting here uh, where in the previous passage and talking about love, he's he's, uh, saying, look, we as believers, our role is not to be the avenger, to get revenge, to enforce things. Our role as followers of Christ is to love and to express that in various ways. But here, he's saying, for the government, it's a whole different thing. That actually is their role. It's not the individual's role. The government may do it through police or other law enforcement, through the courts, through prisons, through the armed forces. And Christians... Christians clearly may be a part of that if they are called to that. Now, they will be different in in some ways on the personal level, but they may carry out legitimately what the government has them in order to fulfill what government is to do. The third Aspect here is the believers should participate as law-abiding citizens. Uh, Verses 5 through 7. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. But because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what's owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is is owed. Basically, we are to be good citizens. See, down through the centuries, historically, there have always been those that have said, well, I don't agree with what the government's doing. I don't like what they are doing, and so I'm not going to pay my taxes because I don't want to support that. Now, emotionally, I, I understand that. I really do understand that. I don't, I don't want my funds going to certain things that are legal in this country. But again, remember the horrible things that went on in the Roman government that Paul was under, and yet he says, pay taxes. Pay it so they can carry out what the the rightful role of government is. Now let me me give you four things quickly that uh, we must understand. Again, as I mentioned earlier, the believer's life is one of submission. So we have got to remember, back to Augustine, the city of God, the city of man, that our primary citizenship and where it is, Paul says this in Philippians 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then over in Ephesians, he uses the idea of citizenship again. Ephesians 2.19. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You know, we are exposed to that weekly here, basically. When we consider global missions, our focus areas, areas where we minister, Spain, Haiti, Ukraine, Bulgaria, we use different language, different expressions of praise, but our unity is because we worship the same God. That's, that is our primary citizenship. And if you go overseas and you're with believers, you quickly see, you know what, I've got more in common with this person that I can't even speak the same language, but who, who is a child of the living God, who's trusting Christ for eternal life. I've got more in common with him or with her than I do people in my own country that don't know Christ. That is our our first and foremost, our primary uh, citizenship. Along with that goes our first responsibility, and that's the second thing. Here is what our first responsibility is. It is not to a city or to heaven or a spiritual country. It is unquestioning loyalty to the king who is neither elected nor will be dethroned or defeated unquestioning loyalty to King Jesus. For the Christian, his first loyalty must always be to the king of the city of God. If any other king demands loyalty over Christ, it must be denied. That's where we must begin if we were to understand how we live in two worlds. So where does civil disobedience come in? Well, right here. It is never a first resort. Great care and counsel must always be there before we would ever uh, disobey in a civil manner. And it's not just, we are, we are not to disobey just when our government is doing wrong, but the line is when our government would demand for us to do wrong as well. That's the line. So our government that is not Christian, we cannot expect them to be Christian If ever they demand that we disobey Christ, we must obey God rather than man. And that's even with this passage before us. The third thing to remember is that human government is limited. And and that's where I think a number of Christians make a mistake. In our country... Uh, we enjoy freedom to practice our Christianity, to worship, and so on. But I'm afraid that 
many put way too much trust in human government in the city of man. I doubt that Roman Christians had that problem because they could see so clearly uh, how unrighteous their government was. In fact, I'm convinced that uh, one of the reasons Paul is adamant about praying for leaders is because it reminds us that God is in control and therefore we ought not to trust the leaders but trust God who put the leaders in place. So here's what he says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This will happen when we have a transformed mind when our mind is not conformed to this world, which is what Romans 12 started with. So here's the difference. Here's a mind that is conformed to this world, that is not transformed in thinking about government, in thinking about our president, for instance. And I don't care who is president. What is our, what is our response? Is it disrespect? Is it insults? Is it jokes about its leaders? A number of years ago, I became convicted over that, about telling jokes about uh, the president. Uh, This was several presidents ago. And I asked God to help me, and, you know, when when I'm tempted to do that instead, Prompt me to pray for him because that's what I'm supposed to be doing rather than disrespecting in that way. If we realize the limitations of government and stop trusting it, do you know what that'll do? That will give you another freedom. A freedom not to worry about elections a freedom not to worry about politics. I see so many people filling up lots of time watching Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or other cable news. And you know what that will do? It will hurt your spirit. It will cause you to begin to worry because you're hearing the same thing over and over for one thing. Breaking news. Oh, that's what broke last hour. That's interesting, okay. But, but that's, that's when they're benefiting when people are stirred up. And I'm not saying you can't watch or listen to any of that, but, but be careful because it, it will hurt your soul if you're not careful, and you will worry about things that are contrary to what this passage is saying, that look, wait a minute, God's still in control. And so instead of being stirred up, and this isn't a message for liberals or conservatives, 
It's for all of us. Instead, rejoice, the Lord is King. Instead of despairing of who is in the White House at any time. And so, vote and participate as a citizen, yes. But not out of fear that something's, if I don't vote, something's going to happen that God didn't know was coming. And that leads me to the next thing pertaining to government. That is, the Christian's trust must be in the only righteous government. Isaiah 40, verse 23, talks about God who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Never fear that the political process is out of control. Christians of all people should have a peace that God is sovereign even in the elections in the United States of America. I refuse to let elections depress me because I know that whoever is in office is not the one who is ultimately in control. If he was, then we ought to be depressed. But the Scripture says otherwise. The same one that's on the throne the day before the election and the day of the election is on the throne the day after the election. And that's the king of the universe. So our ultimate comfort, Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over uh, his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness for this, from this time forth and forevermore. That is the only righteous government there. And so we are to look forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. There's only one government that will last forever. The government of the city of God of which those who belong to Christ are citizens. Thanks be to God. Let's bow. Lord, teach us just what it means to live lives of submission. Submission that shows itself as we submit to others, but ultimately is submission to you, the sovereign king of the universe. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.